Lord, we just thank you, Lord. We praise you, we exalt you, we magnify your holy name, oh God. Lord, I am so in awe of your love, mercy, and compassion towards me. And Lord, I, I rejoice to know that you are not done with me yet. And Lord, so I pray right now as we are gathered in this place, oh God, for no other reason except the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that we have guests in this room, and this may seem a little awkward to them, but I got to tell you, I'm in love with Jesus, so I'm going to say hallelujah and glory to God. So Lord, have your way right now. Bless your word as we read it, as we try to expound on it. Holy Spirit, we need you desperately right now, this moment. Hide me behind you, Lord, and you be glorified. We don't need another eloquent speech. We don't need words to tickle our ears. We need change in our lives. And that can only happen when your word gets deep into our soul, begins to wreck us begins to rearrange us and remind us that we are not God, that you are God and that you are in control. And Lord, so we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Please remain standing as we read the word. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11 reads like this. If you have a Bible, then praise God. If you're on your phone, my assumption is that you will be on the Word of God. That's my assumption. If not, it'll be on the screen, and if not, it's in your bulletin. The first Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 reads like this. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. In the Phillips Bible New Testament, it says, when I was a little child, I talked and felt and thought like a little child. Now I am a man. My childish speech and feeling and thought have no further significance for me. It's often awkward to see a grown-up acting like a child. When I see it, I wonder about it. Sometimes we make assumptions about it, but we've been in a series called The Ghost, which in essence is the Holy Spirit. We're not here preaching anything else except the Holy Spirit. We have learned that the Holy Spirit is not a person, an idea, or an it. I mean, it's not an idea, or a, it is a person. It's not a force. It is the third person of the triunity of God. And it's essential for us to understand that every believer, when they say yes to Jesus Christ, immediately receives the Spirit of God. But we have to cultivate that. We have to allow the Spirit of God to do what has been sent to do. It's important for us to realize not to resist what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. And we learned the first uh, time that we uh, started doing this and Pastor Edwin came up, we talked about how the Holy Spirit has come into this world to convict it of sin. And if you're comfortable in your sin, then we questioned whether the Holy Spirit resides in you or not, or whether your conversion has been one of true essence. 
Because at the end of the day, I got to tell you, you got to begin to feel uncomfortable about how you used to live if you're coming to church regularly and you said yes to Jesus Christ. You're in this room and you're not a believer. At the end of the service, you're going to have an opportunity to leave this room with the very gift that's been given to those who believe. It's the Spirit of God to dwell within us to help us to change and live out this life that has been promised to us in John 10.10. It's an abundant life. It's not a life free of suffering. It's not a life free of hardship, but it is a life worth living. And no longer do you have to be concerned about why I'm doing what I'm doing. There's a purpose and plan that comes into play, and it's a purpose and plan that God says in Jeremiah. He talks about how I want to give you a hope and a future. I don't want to harm you. And when those words came into my life, I was moved quite profoundly because I spend a lot of time trying to harm myself and hurt others. I'm the only one. You guys don't say amen because you're wondering, okay, you know. But the truth of the matter is, a lot of us are still out there. A lot of us are still doing this kind of stuff. And it's something that we have to understand because in this particular text that we're diving into, and the purpose of this sermon today is that I believe that the Holy Spirit leads us to maturity. It's that simple. I mean, you know, like I said, I, I sometimes am shocked when I see a grown man still acting like a child. It troubles me. You know, the, the whining and complaining and, 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 you know, the things that a child would do. And when you see a grown person, when you see a child, it's kind of a little bit acceptable. Although, hey, I got to tell you something, that if you let them get away with it when they're young, as they get older, you're going to have more trouble because then they're going to tell you what to do. So it's important that very early on you begin to guide them and lead them in a particular way. Amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ and to lead. I like word studies, so I highlighted the word lead. Amen? Believers into all truth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach. So I highlighted the teach. You all things and will remind you, remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit comes to enable us to know Christ. Now, that's a big deal here. Because when you're trying to minister to someone who's an unbeliever, you're kind of wondering why they don't know. Do you understand that? Okay. So, so it says, to know Christ through a new birth, you must be what? Born again. And to give us the power to live the abundant life that Jesus promised to all who trust and obey him. Now, in Acts chapter 1-8 which is right before Acts chapter 2, which is when the Holy Spirit came. The day of Pentecost took place in chapter 2 of the book of Acts as a direct promise of what Jesus has said to those that were with him. He said, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send one like me to help you in what you're going to have to do. Now, if you know the story of those 12 that he chose, we know that Judas eventually hung himself, but those 11 now had to be thrusted into the world to begin to share this new kingdom that was challenging the kingdom in place. And let me tell you something, they did not live lives aside from suffering. In fact, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, wound up residing in a lot of the jails of the towns he went to. Because there was a king already that ruled, an emperor. And Rome kind of frowned against those people that preached against the kingdom. And Jesus walked into that and began to preach a different kind of kingdom. One of peace and love. But they needed this power. In the Bible, the Greek word is dunamis. It's a word we get dynamite from. 
The counselor, one like me, is the word parakletos. Parakletos means one like me will be with you. Now, Jesus was physically with his disciples, so when they went out and they messed up, they came back, and he said, come on, let's try this again. Why didn't you do this? You didn't do that? Okay, let's do this again. Let's pray. Go back out there. Two by two, he would send them. But there was going to come a time where he knew that he was about to be crucified. He was going to die. He wasn't going to be able to be with them, and that's essential because at the end of the day, you have to understand that as you leave this place, you're going to have to go out there and begin to live this life. You cannot do it without the power of God. Amen. Last week, we heard that. As we've been talking about the preacher, where you've got to find God in these moments, and, and, and prior to that, Pastor Raymond preached about, you know, how you know, we're in a spiritual warfare, whether you like it or not, whether you know Jesus or not. The things that are happening to your life are spiritually moved. You know, these are, you have to understand that. And some of you know, you know, I don't, you know, I don't go for that. Well, let me tell you, that's what it is. We, we live in a broken world in which there's a real enemy that has one plan, and that's to destroy the very thing that God loves. And that's you. He will do whatever he can to destroy you. For some of us, it's been a life of addiction, abuse, destitute, probably crime. But at the end of the day, there is a power that's given to us, that indwells us, that is supposed to be able to help us to lead this life. Now, here are the key words. The Holy Spirit has come to lead. He has come to teach. He has come to bring to mind, to remind, and to enable us, meaning in the end of the day, I can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. It's a wonder why I've messed up so many times. When, when you step out of what the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is trying to lead, by the way, if the Holy Spirit is trying to lead you, stop resisting. Stop resisting. It, 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 you know, one of the, mo the most dangerous person in a church, do you know who that person is? Don't look at the person next to you. <laughs> I'm thinking... most dangerous person in the church is a person who's unteachable. They think they know it all. They've had some little success in the world, and now they come into church and they make the assumption that they can bring that into the world. Listen, in here, it is about the Holy Spirit. It is about the Word of God. Great, you got a bunch of degrees on your wall. Praise God. You're successful in another realm. Praise God. But in here, it's about the Holy Spirit. You try to sing without the Holy Spirit, man, you're going to bore me to death. You try to get up there without the, you know, the Holy Spirit, you're going you're gonna, to, I'm going to go to sleep. It's hot enough in here. So it's important for us to understand that we need the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You can't even witness. And listen to me, witness is not by works. It's by your life. It's the way you live, and, and listen, not just here, not just here, but anywhere else you go. I've said this often and often again. If I go to your job, if I go to your block, if I go to the corner grocery store and it says, man, I'm desperately in need of a man of God or a woman of God, can you point me to one? And they say, I don't know. And then you walk into my milk, and they say, yo, how you doing? Did you go to my church? Yeah, that's a man of God. No, that's not a man of God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the Holy Spirit then leads us into a life this life that makes us witnesses, not so much about what we say, but what we do, don't do, how to behave, how we act, how we treat one another. It's essential for us to realize that without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Amen? Amen. 
Now, this particular text, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, where it talks about this whole being a child and then putting away these childish ways, is positioned right between chapter 12 and chapter 14. And that's not a revelation, just the way it is, 12, 13, 14. But if you look at it and you study 1 Corinthians, you will realize that chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts and how the gifts were given to the church to do what? Anybody remember? To edify the church, to bless the church. The church meaning the body. So if I have the gift of teaching, therefore, it is to bless the body. Amen? Everybody understand that? And then chapter 14 is about orderly worship. Everybody got that? So you come in, we sit down, you know, we do, you know, God is not a God of chaos. We're not running around up and down here. We're not jumping. Kids are not running up and down the hall. You know, we got kids, you know, kids church. You know, people come in, we sit down, we silence our phones, right? We're not having a conversation while the preacher's preaching. Everybody understand that? Now, he had to address these things in the Corinthians church because there was a reason for it. In the spiritual gift aspect, people believed that because they had spiritual gifts, now they were jostling for positions and titles and making assumptions about, I have this gift, so therefore I'm better than you are. Isn't that a little childish? Isn't that like a child saying, I got a bigger toy? So he had to address that. And having spiritual gifts doesn't necessarily mean Here's what he says because he corrected them. The true index of Christian maturity is not the possession of gift of the spirit, but the production of the fruit. Everybody write that one down because I hear a lot of you talking about fruits of the spirit. And it's fruit of the spirit. The seed is the spirit. Manifesting its way in those nine different ways. It's not fruits of the spirit. Write it down. It is fruit. Because you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you'll be gentle, kind, and, you know, love, you know, the Holy Spirit just reveals that goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit directly of a person who's being led, taught, empowered, enabled by the Holy Spirit. You must demonstrate this fruit. That's why it says, by your fruit you shall be known. So at the end of the day, when you're walking around saying, I'm Christian, I'm singing a song, set a fire down in my soul, you know, and you're not exhibiting these things, but crying out loud. Really? So, so we want to be able to understand that the fruit of the Spirit will do this, and spiritual gifts is not. It is sadly true that not all spiritually gifted believers act and react in a mature way. And that's where we begin to have our problems. We begin to have our problems because, in essence, what begins to happen is that those people who claim to be spiritually mature are really immature. I believe the Holy Spirit grows us to maturity. That's what I believe. I believe that as you keep coming and showing up and allowing God to lead you and teach you and, and don't be unteachable, allow God to do what he needs to do. This is, in other words, this is not a badge that we wear now. And some of us are going to make it into heaven by the skin of our teeth. We're heavenly bound but no earthly good. The, the, the Holy Spirit is here to lead us and to guide us. And, and someone told me the other day, and as I was you know, doing further research and study, it says, even in the rooms, right, we, we enter childlike and become childish, right? Like, like all of a sudden, you know, we, we, you know and, and it's really profound for us to begin to understand that what I what meant by that is you come in with this childlike desire, this desperation to want to get clean and want to grow, and then you wind up becoming childish. 
You're the loudest one in that meeting. You're still dropping every F-bomb that can imagine. You know, there's no real growth in you. You know, and again, I'm not knocking anything. I'm not saying that. I've gone to a lot of anniversaries, and I'm so grateful for what God is doing through the midst. But I get tired of every year going up to an anniversary and hearing the same story. God's mercies are new every day. You got to see God new every day. There's got to be something new happening in your life every day. It's got to be a new experience every year. Let's celebrate the newness in our lives. God leads us to maturity. You know, as we grow, we got to stop crying about the same things. He doesn't love you. Cut it loose. Cut it loose, man. She doesn't love you. Cut her loose. What does it take? She threw your clothes out the window. She smashed your car. Cut it loose. She's put it all over Facebook. I'm done with him. There's a sense of immaturity. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Can we talk today? Can we have a conversation? All right. All right. I just want to make sure because spiritual Maturity is not the mere possession of spiritual gifts. The maturing Christian will have those spiritual gifts. The minute you come to Christ, you have these gifts. Remember that they're supposed to be used for the edification of the church. That's the problem. Sometimes we want positions, titles. We want to be this. We want to be that. And God is saying, no, the gift that you have is for the edification of the church. And we do it in humility. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be known. Listen, can I just share with you? I didn't want to be a pastor. I was happy cleaning the bathrooms and driving the bus. I was really happy doing that. I was really happy doing that. It, it, it drives me crazy how many people today want to be pastors. How many people today want to be leaders and cannot lead themselves? God loves people. When you're a leader, you have to lead people. Where will you lead them to if you cannot lead yourself? So at the end of the day, there are some qualifications to leadership. And I didn't want to do this, man. Listen, I was happy punching in and punching out. Come on, some of you know that. Some of you know all about that. But as I began to hear the word of God and began to be asked and began to be challenged and saying, listen, what you have doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. How are you using it for the glory of God? And I said, wait a minute. I was the one that went to school. Nope. I was the one that made sure you didn't go to jail when the cops came and they took everybody else and they didn't take you. <laughs> I was the one that used a drunken father who was rageful and beat you to say, go play baseball. I don't want you hanging out with these guys. And I wanted to hang out with him because, hey, he looked cool. Leather jackets, you know, little Carlitos way, you know, walking around. You know, I said, yo, Pop, I want to hang out with you. He's like, no, nah, go play baseball. Took me to the park and he played, let me play baseball. I had a brother who to this day I just... I haven't seen him in about two and a half years, and recently I just found out that he's in the streets again. Um, and he used to, after a while, he just kicked me off the corner, and I said, you know, you're my brother. We're supposed to hang out. He would kick me off the corner and tell me to go home. Now, mind you, since the age of 15, he's been locked up in and out. God used him. You heard that last year. God, last week, how God uses people in your life to keep you out of danger. And some of us can't understand that. We get upset. I used to get upset at him. I said, yo, I want to hang out with you. He was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Go crying home and tell mom, and mom will come out and chase him down. I'm like, you know, 
But God used them that way. And it's profound because as Paul is addressing these people, he wanted to address this specifically because they assumed that because they had spiritual gifts that they were spiritually mature. And they weren't. Look what he says. He says, in the case of the Corinthian church, they had all the gifts. But Paul said this to them. You do not lack any spiritual gift. Yet a little later, he goes on to say to them, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Now, now what he's talking about milk is not baby milk. It's the simple stuff. You know what you do. You read the word once a week. You dust off your Bible when you come in here on Sunday. You pray when you're in trouble? Come on now. I know you didn't come to hear that, right? I got this great, great sermon series that hopefully we'll, we'll get going. It's, it's called Don't Get Scorched by the Sun. I'm not talking about that sun. I'm talking about the Son of God. Because a lot of us, you know, we're using the summer for what? To go to the beach. Now, I just went away with my wife. By the way, she didn't raise her hand, but we got 30 years of being married. Huh? <laughs> July 1st was our anniversary. Um, that's when we decided to go to City Hall many years ago and get married, and we're grateful for that. It's amazing when you plan a wedding, right? We started planning a wedding, and it grew from, I think, 80 people to 150 people, and half of them I didn't like. So I was like, who are we doing this for? She looked at me, I looked at her, and we said, hey, let's just go to City Hall. Four hours later, we're on the beach. You know what I mean? Um, mind you, I mean, it wasn't happy but when you elope like that, but the truth of the matter is, um, it was about us. And I'm grateful. Thank you so much for saying yes uh, 30 years ago. I appreciate that. But this whole idea of growing in maturity requires us to understand that when we come to Christ, there is this thing called justification. We say yes to Jesus. At that moment, your sin debt is taken care of. You were guilty. He steps in and says, you're not guilty anymore. You accept the fact that you're a sinner. You um, say yes to me, and therefore, you know, your name gets written in the book of life. But then there's something that happens from that moment. Remember, he meets you in your mess. He makes you in that state of destitution, addiction, troubled mind, troubled soul, tr you name it, you were troubled. Just like I was. He makes us there. But then he begins to do something what the Bible refers to as this sanctification. He begins by his spirit begins to lead us. Now, let me tell you something. When I first started walking with the Lord, I didn't say yes to everything God said, you know, told me to do. Was that reason? Now, God doesn't sit in heaven, you know, thinking about, I'm going to punish you if you don't do it. It's already built into his word. Some of you are not reading the small print. God is not a punishing God. He's not an angry God, okay? Now, there's God, we have a God of wrath, but at the end of the day, what begins to happen is that because you don't obey his word, you begin to realize that the word of God is either going to help you or get you to get help. <laughs> It's that simple. Like having been in this room, when you leave from here, you're responsible for what you hear. So if you're in this room and you don't know Christ, you're saying, oh, you know, he sounds good, whatever, he sounds horrible, I can't wait to leave here. What you're listening to, you will be responsible for. 
And the Holy Spirit is going to begin to work out here in your life to get you down there on your knees so that you can look up and say yes to Jesus. So the sanctification takes place. The Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives and move in our lives mightily to be able to do that. I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit is a person and not an it, not a force, not an idea. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He comes into our lives and says, hey, you want to go left, you want to go right, it's up to you. But I would advise you to go left. And we begin to do that. Now, this is a big deal as we continue to go in this sermon. There is this emotional maturity that has to happen in your life. I'm talking to the person in your seat. Okay? Because the person in your seat is still crying about some things you got to stop crying about. You're still stamping your feet. You're still saying, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. And God is saying, no, because that's not what I have for you. And at the end, you want it so much that what the Bible says, I'm going to give it to you. So that you can see that it's not for you. And I tell my men, every Thursday night, we gather here. There's about 40, maybe 50 men gathering in the room. And if you're not here, listen, if you're here and you have a husband, send them on Thursday. I will train them for you. <laughs> you haven't had much success. He's still not picking up the toilet seat. All right? So at the end of the day, just, just send them here. And I don't say that in a prideful way. The Holy Spirit shows up in that room. They're just a bunch of men who are just, you know, bearing their souls and saying, man, we don't know how to do this. I'm we've, been under, we've been studying anger for like, someone, someone, someone raised their hand in the room and they were like, yo, we're still on anger. I left, came back, and we're still on anger. I said, you sound angry. <laughs> God allows us to revisit some things until we grow up from those things. God allows us to revisit some things until we grow up from them things. Amen? And just know that we move in steps, but we grow in stages. And that sanctification is just that. God is moving us along this continuum of being infants, immature, you know, emotional, you know, thinking that we're spiritual, and God begins to walk us towards this. Now, complete maturity doesn't happen here. It happens when we're face-to-face -face with Jesus. But you should be in this process in which you're growing. Amen? Amen? Now, emotional maturity refers to your ability to understand and manage your emotions. Everybody got that? Yes. Managing your emotions. Our emotions are messy. We cannot be led by emotions anymore. The Holy Spirit is there to lead us and to guide us and to help us with our emotions. Okay? I cry at Lion King. It's just, that's what I do. I, I cry. You know, I cry at the patient when the little girl says, Papa, Papa, don't leave me. I cry. Okay, that's who I am. I'm crying these days. God is doing something in my life. But it allows me to control my emotions in every other realm. I, you know, I just recently went through the most difficult two months of my life. And I'm grateful for my wife being alongside me in a praying church that was supporting of us. And I still have my moments. But I got to believe, I got to hold on to my faith. I got to believe that, that there's a greater good coming out of all this, that God is doing something that I can't see right now, that I don't understand right now, but that he's going to work out for good. So being emotionally mature enables you to accept the life God has set forth for you. 
if I had to script things, man, I would script it differently. I would always be the hero. I would always ride in in the white horse. The last two months rendered me powerless. Powerless. I couldn't do anything except be present. And, and for a control freak like me, that was hard. Oh, nobody's a control freak. No amens. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm the only one. All right. <laughs> Our lives are meant to be filled with joy and contentment. And we define success in God's terms, not society's. And we strive to retrieve it. And the one that has been sent to help us will help you. But you have to allow him now. I'm going to put on the screen a brief description of emotional, spiritual infants. Hopefully it'll come up. Now, just highlight the one that's you. If it's all four, just say it's all me. Emotionally, spiritual infant, look for others to take care of them. Now, please tuck your elbows in. Really, let's, let's not do that. Have great difficulty entering into the world of others. What does that mean? It's their way all the time. All the time, it's their way. All the time. Where the furniture goes, where things get hung, the color on the wall, you know, where we go, where we don't go. They don't care to look for another perspective. They don't care to ask for another perspective. It's, they have a hard time walking into other people's world. Like, 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 I spend a lot of time counseling. I spend a lot of time, you know, ministering. And, 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 you know, at the very beginning, it was like, man, how come they don't get it? How come they don't get it? How come they don't get it? And then as I study deeper and deeper into the word of God, without the Holy Spirit, you'll never get it. You'll never get it. You're, you're always going to be relying on your flesh, on your own strength, on your own ideas, on what you've read, on what you think is right. The Holy Spirit quickens us, enables us, illuminates our minds and hearts to what we've heard to be true, the truth that comes to set us free. And it's God's word. Now, now right there, there are other truths, but if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's just not true. It's just not true. Are driven by a need for instant gratification. I don't have to explain that one, do I? I don't have to explain that, but I will. <laughs> I, I was sitting at home the other day. I said, honey, let's watch a movie. And uh, it was amazing because we live again in this instant gratification, right? When I grew up, if you wanted to watch TV, you had your little brother hold the antenna that was made out of a hanger, and you told him not to move, and you sat there, and it was this big box, right? I'm aging myself, right? And we sat there and said, don't move, stay right there, while we ate and watched them, and then we rotate, right? But now, we don't have to move, do we? We have remote control. I said, honey, let's watch a movie instead of going to the movies. We got, you know, Netflix, we got this, we got that. But I sat down at the sofa, I went on my phone, picked the movie, clicked, and it was on the screen. Now, I'm not saying that for any other reason, except I didn't have to get up for anything. I'm trying to find if I could push a button in the sofa to get me a drink. <laughs> but I got my son, Chris. <laughs> And he's never too happy when I do that. And he's like, what do you want? <laughs> but at the end of the day, we live in a society of instant gratification. You know, hot pockets, microwaves, all that stuff. It's just, 
you know, uh, quick, you go to get an oil change. It, it's like that. You go, it's like this assembly line. Everything is just instant gratification. It's a shame because anything that we get in our lives so quickly oftentimes comes with a caveat, comes with a string that's attached to it. A great deal of emotion, a great deal of pain. And um, I, again, I'm identifying those who are emotionally and spiritually infants. And then this is the last one, which always bothers me. They use others as objects to meet their needs. You know, you're in my life because you're fulfilling a need. And that's not what we're supposed to do. It's not at all. You know, again, I always use marriage as an example. My wife is not there to meet a need. She is a sojourner. She is on this journey with me. And what I love about her is that she reminds me of this. Oftentimes, when I try to subjugate her to my rules, she reminds me, and she'll look at me like, like I got two heads, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's not because of any other reason except that she knows God. And when you look at it, woman wasn't removed from back here. It was removed from here. And to be side by side. Amen. Now, let's look at the emotional, spiritual, because I don't want to leave you out there thinking, oh, man, I have all of these. The emotional, spiritual adult are able to ask for what they need, want, or prefer clearly, directly, and honestly. Now, I work with a lot of men, and one of the things that men have difficulty with is finding the words to articulate what they're trying to communicate. And that's because of how men have grown up. Uh, especially if you grew up in my home, it was better to be seen and not heard. So as you grow up, you have to begin to find the words to articulate what it is you're feeling, what it is you want, what it is you need. And you have to do that honestly without attacking an individual. So at the end of the day, someone who is emotionally and spiritually, you know, an adult, they're able to do this. Next one is they have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspective of others. You know, I've come to the conclusion that anytime I'm having an argument with someone, it's not about anything else except the fact that I don't get my way. And uh, rather than trying to enforce my way upon someone, I want to ask them, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? And find a common ground that we can both exist on. At the end of the day, listen to me. Where there is conflict, the enemy is the puppet master. He is pulling that strings at that moment. You have to cut the strings. And the only way to do that is they're going to step back and say, wait a minute. You and I really care about each other. You and I really love each other. So how can we resolve this where God gets the glory? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if we eat Chinese or Spanish, you know, Chinese or Spanish food. As long as we eat, I'm okay. But at the end of the day, people who are immature use others to meet their needs. They use others. They use others. And guys, in the Corinthians church, they had these spiritual gifts, but they were still behaving in a rather immature way. And when you look at Corinthians 1 and 2, you begin to realize that he's writing to them about something that's wrong. So when he says, man, listen, we have to address this infancy in us. We have to be able to grow and allow the Holy Spirit to grow us. Next thing is, you know, they recognize, manage, and take responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. A lot of you are still saying the devil made you do it. Leave the devil alone, man. He's got bigger things to do. At the end of the day, there's still some stuff inside you that you're allowing to manifest itself in your life. And you're looking for someone to blame. 
right? So rather than looking in the mirror and saying, man, that's me. That's, you know, my bad, right? The young people say that. I, don't, I used to say my bag until the young people at school corrected me. I didn't know my bag, man. My, my bad. And then accurately assess their own limits. Come on now. As people who are emotionally and spiritually adults, you assess your own limits, your strengths, and your weaknesses, and are able to freely discuss them with others. There are some things I do not know. And I am grateful for those people around me that know. Thank you. Thank you. I have no idea how to press that button without deleting everything. So I asked for help. And at the end of the day, guys, we're talking about how the Holy Spirit grows us in maturity. Stop whining. Stop acting like a little baby, man. Stop, you know, because the Holy Spirit, if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Like some people are afraid to be alone. So they'll be in miserable relationships. That's immature. That is immature. God has better for you. You, you know, you've been in a job, you know, for a long time, and you say, man, you know, this is all I can get. No, you can't. As a child of God, he has better for you. You live in an area that you say, man, this is as far as I'm going to go. Absolutely not. You are a child of God. The Spirit dwells within you. He will take you from glory to glory. And if this door closes for you, another one will open. If this is something that God is moving you from, then God has something better for you. But because of fear and our immaturity and saying, man, this is all I'm going to do, we don't do anything about it. I got to tell you something. There is power that you have not tapped into yet. There is a power that you have not tapped into yet. I was going to college, and, and like most people, I hated math. Oh, gosh, I dreaded math. I couldn't understand why they use I don't need math in the street. All I need to do is cut. I need to count money. That's all I need to know how to do. And, and, um, and there's a whole scientific purpose for it, but I'm only saying this because as I became a child of God, I needed this degree, and the only class that was holding me from getting a degree was math. I even left the school and tried to find another school that will <laughs> not use math so I can get my qualification. The point is, I read the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says, I am a new creation. I have a new mind. And I cried out to God, and I said, God, help me. And God, help me. Not to learn math but to put me around a group of people who studied it every day. And they would see me in the halls, and they would say, hey, Grandpa, come here. <laughs> you're laughing. But when you go back to college, and you're older, the oldest one there, they'll call you Grandpa. And they say, come on, where are you going? I said, I went downstairs and get a drink. No, nah, no, nah, come on. And they would help me, and I passed. It was the Spirit of God using what he needed to do to remind me of that scripture. You have a new mind. You have access to a power you didn't have before. 
And rather than running and fleeing and going somewhere else, just be still and know that I am God. And I was grateful for that. There's this Jewish philosopher who wrote during the time of Jesus. This guy's name is Philo, I think it is pronounced, P-H-I-L-O. And he divided his students into three categories. Beginners, those who were making progress, and those who were beginning to attain maturity. Where are you? Because if you are a beginner, great, praise God. You have to begin to put yourself in a position where God can begin to move you and grow you and allow you. And you know what that means? Sign up for classes. I didn't understand this. I still don't understand it. I know very little of the Bible. Very little. But I know this, that not reading it every day is not going to get me better with it. Not going to people who are better than me in it. So great, you got a degree in English literature, fantastic. This is not English literature. This is God's word. This is God's word. And it's got to be read differently. This is not about, you know, adjectives and verbs and stuff like that. This is about the spirit of the word. Getting inside you to change you. And to move you along from being immature to being mature. Amen? There's a distinct perspective that happens to people who have been with Jesus. If you've been with Jesus, if you said yes to Jesus, there's a behavior, there's a perspective, there's just an attitude that's obvious in your life. First, it's with sin. The Holy Spirit has come to convict us of sin. If you're still dibbing and dabbing, then again, as the pastor has said recently, you know, I got a question. I got a question. What you doing? Who's leading you? Because there's one thing where you just step into it, but where you're pursuing it says something different about you. The Holy Spirit does not lead us to sin. The Holy Spirit does not lead us to a place that doesn't glorify God. The Holy Spirit doesn't provoke in us behaviors that don't honor God. That's your flesh. The flesh is always, that's when I say the flesh, that means you. What you picked up along the way. Your life rules. And so people who have been with Jesus, you know, there's something different about it. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. This is a very powerful statement. This is after the day of Pentecost. This is after they received the Holy Spirit. They're now into Acts chapter 4. The Holy Spirit came in chapter 2. It says this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, unschooled, they saw these guys rolling up on the scene, and they were dropping it, man. You know, the words that were coming had life. It was, it was like stuff was happening to the people that were around them. And they said, these were ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Something radical happened in their lives. The Holy Spirit showed up and, and, and was promised by God to give them power to be able to be witnesses. Not so much what they said, but how they did. Now, I believe that Peter, you know, eventually wanted to have a fishing business, right? Fishing was, you know, the business. I was going to be a fisherman. I'd go out there, hire a bunch of boats, and we would go out there, we would fish, and we would make money. And John, by the way, was considered to be the son of thunder. That means that John must have had a little attitude. Come on now. But when the Holy Spirit came, he became the beloved one. He leaned on the bosom of, I mean, like, like this was a transformation that began to take place in this man's life. The Holy Spirit leads us to maturity. 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Word of God comes into our lives. Look, in Ephesians 2, 6, it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit now gives us a new perspective. You know what I love most? Is that when I find myself in the middle of something, God tells me, step back. When I find myself in the middle of something that I got to tell you something eventually, something's going to get said, something's going to get done, the flesh is going to creep up. I'm going to revert back to old behaviors. Come on now. The Holy Spirit whispers and says, step back. You, you, you have a new perspective. This is a spiritual battle. I say, well, how far back do I go? <laughs> he removes me. And I'm able to look at it. And I got to tell you something, because it's a spiritual warfare, you begin to see, man, this person's really angry about something. And you're in the way. And God removes us. Why? Because he puts us in this new place. And as a child, we reason and think as a child because of this. Our desires are primal, and we lack this essential part that most children lack. Self-control. Self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. If you read Galatians 5, 22 to 23, the final piece there is, and this is the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. You know that impulsive behavior that you have? That's not the Holy Spirit. You got to have it when you got to have it when you want to. Next. Ladies. You don't need another pair of shoes. Right? Yes, we do. 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 There's a sale. We got to go. We got to go. But at the end of the day, this self-control is greater because without self-control, we are unable to live out this life. I don't know about you, but haste makes waste. Any time that I wind up diving into something without thinking, without, you know, and I'm like that. I'm sick. I'm sorry. I, I'm linear. I, I got to sh- write it down. People get annoyed with me because they come to me with all these great ideas. I say, write it down. And I don't see them for two months because they can't write it down. And, and I'm like, you know, just, just write it down. Step one, step two, step three. Ah, I don't know. I got it here. I say, yeah, you got it here, but I need to see it out here so we can understand it. I'm like that. I'm built that way. I'm kind of analytical about things, you know, and I'm not asking for forgiveness. That's who I am. That's the gift. That's a gift. And you have a gift. And when we come together, we can accomplish so much more by you not trying to squash my gift and me not trying to squash your gift, but that we use the gift for the glory of God. So that's not what we're trying to do, not only in this ministry, but anywhere else. We want to use your gifts, but we want you to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because when you want to quit, the Holy Spirit will tell you no. You see, your flesh, when things don't go right, you'll want to quit. You'll get another vision. 